This is The Counter Rock, your Six Nations podcast brought to you by the Irish Times in partnership with Nifty Business. You can find out more at niftybusiness.ie. My name is Nathan Johns, and on the day that Ireland named their team to face Wales, I am joined in studio by John O'Sullivan. Good afternoon. And from a wet, leafy park in London, Gordon Darcy joins us on the line. How are you, Gordon? I'm not too bad. How are you guys doing? Yeah, very well. We're recording pretty much just minutes after Ireland have named their team. It's it's interesting. We've we've had the Thursday podcast in situ for a good few weeks now, but we've managed to avoid recording on a day that they named the team, just the way Ireland's fixtures have have lined up. So we've got something to talk about hot off the press, literally. Um, John, we were all expecting the the main headline news, so to speak, which is Kieran Frawley is starting at fifteen. Hugo Keenan, his knee has not healed quickly enough to to play in this game. Perhaps no surprises there, but now that we know that the news is there, what what is your reaction? I think looking at it, looking at who Farrell has selected in his wider squad, given injuries to O'Brien and Hanson, there's probably no one else to play 15, but obviously Frawley plays a lot of positions. Is that his best position? Is his versatility finally coming to be useful to him? I think his versatility certainly is is useful to him in these circumstances. You've touched on the fact that there wouldn't have been a great deal of choice for the 15 jersey in the absence of Hugo Keenan and the injury situation that pertains. So I think personally, I think he is has great potential at inside centre and at half. I think he's played, obviously played for Leinster this year at full back on half a dozen occasions. And he's acquitted himself reasonably well. I'm looking forward to seeing him play that position. I'm looking forward to seeing how he deals with it. And I would hope that people would understand that he is not going to play it in the same way as Hugo Keenan, that he has to play it to the best of Kieran Frawley's ability, if you know what I mean. So doing the basics, being solid, under a high ball, he's got a, a very good kicking game. That, that high ball point, it, that's, that's the one thing. When, it, when a guy goes into international, an international backfield, having he's probably done it once or twice, but not starting in a game of this magnitude, that's the one area you think, right, international level, that's where you're going to be tested. Any nine or ten worth his salt is going to rain down high bombs on you. You say you've watched him a lot for Leinster at 15 this year. How do you think he'll deal with that threat? I think he's he's coming from a very good starting point because he's six foot three. So he has a physical presence under a hive ball. I think the one thing that he has to say is that you've got to commit when you're going in the air and you have to be 100%, whether it's a good decision or a not so good decision. He needs help from his wings as well. This is where the communication aspect of things would have been very important in the training environment as well with Calvin Nash and, and James Lowe. So he needs to communicate with them. They need to communicate with him. They've got to cover the backfield uh, quite apart from, if you like, the more linear approach from Wales, which will be to box kick or kick. You would expect uh, the Welsh halfbacks to, to certainly to test him out as, as early as they can. The Welsh assistant coach, Rob Howley, was in the press during the week saying he wants Wales to create a bit of chaos. And I don't know if that's chaos in terms of chaos on, on Kieran Frawley in the form of high balls or will they throw the ball around a little bit more and maybe maybe they won't kick as much. We'll, we'll find out on Saturday. But on the on the Frawley point, Dars, um, he's obviously a very different player to Hugo Keenan. Um, his background is, is as, a, as a 10, as, we, as we've highlighted. What are we expecting that, that's different? A lot of people talk about how much of a loss Hugo Keenan is, but what, what is Frawley bringing to this position that, that's different to Keenan? But he comes in as that kind of second playmaker, which uh, it will be interesting to see because I suppose... The guy in the team who probably has the most experience at 15 is probably Jack Crowley. So you could potentially see a bit of interchange between the two of them. I know other teams have looked at that before, like New Zealand, Australia, where they've had two two playmakers at 10 and 15, and they've kind of interchanged France, maybe to lose to a, to a little bit. Um, 
but it is more about his, it's to be less about his broken field running. And like I said, that direct comparison to Hugo Keenan is very unfair because Hugo Keenan's ability to hit the ball at top end pace and change direction onto and trail lines is kind of what sets him apart. So I'd say we're probably looking at him more in that kind of second distributor playmaker role. Ireland have been very lucky, Darce, in the sense that they haven't had to answer the question of who plays at fullback when this situation comes comes up. Because I think I think Keenan's played something like thirty two of the last thirty six matches. Is 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 the stat that that I read uh, probably from from Jerry Thornley uh, in his team announcement. So they haven't had to figure out right what happens if Keenan goes down. It's probably the best case scenario for them that it's for this game, a home game against a rebuilding Welsh side, that they do have to conduct that experiment rather than in Twickenham in two weeks. I wouldn't say this is a long-term solution either. I think John's probably skirting around the issue. This isn't his best position. It's probably his third best position behind 10 and 12. So it is a bit of a stopgap, which does kind of look and you're going, okay, well, who is that? Who is that genuine? If we were to go, okay, he, you lose him for a long term, you lose him for a season. Who do you start looking at in that in that position? And to be honest, I don't think there is anybody at the moment. The two options that are, that could be are, are injured. They're out of the squad. It's Jimmy O'Brien and Mac Hansen, right? Yeah, exactly. So when you start getting down to the, and we're not, I'm not calling here for the fourth choice uh, option there, but he's coming in as a, the fourth choice uh, by by virtue of uh, the other two being injured. You do have to start papering over the cracks and just kind of do what you what you have to do. Like you would have thought, Jacob Stockdale might have been in contention, um, just as a back three player who can who can cover fifteen, but uh, his form continues to uh, to elude him. So they're looking at a player that's you know they trust probably just that little bit more. I think they have to uh, just picking up on that point. I think they have to modify Kieran Frodi's role within the team so he's not Hugo Keenan. So he doesn't have his leg speed. He doesn't have his trail lines on transition if they win turnover ball. You've got to look at what attacking shape they'll take from that. All of those things are very important and, and happen in an instant during the game. So I'm intrigued to see it. And, and, and Doris makes a fair point there about it. You would look and say, if Mike Haley and Will Addison had been injury free over the last 15 months, if you like, and had been playing consistently. And in Addison's case as well, as he did before his horrific injuries, they would have been, I'd say, in line for a go at the 15 jersey. But they're not. And uh, Andy Farrell has decided that Kieran Frawley is the, the best person available to him. We mentioned earlier there's probably not a great deal of surprise over this selection. I think everyone saw the Frawley decision coming, at least the, the press certainly did. The one area I was a little bit surprised was uh, there's going to be a debutante on the bench, John, and that's uh, Ollie Jaeger. Uh, we don't quite know what's going on, whether there are injuries to, to Finley Bielham and, and Tom O'Toole, the, the tight heads who were previously named in the Six Nations squad. Of course, Jaeger wasn't in the squad. He was he was a tro- so-called training player. But it's it's a heck of a story, John. He's 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 been around the world. He's, he's, he's gone the long route, but he, and he's about to be capped for his country. Yeah, I think it vindicates his decision to come home, if you like. Uh, I think he's shown remarkable determination and courage and character to go as a teenager down to New Zealand to take a punt on uh, trying to get some game time down there to obviously eventually force his way into the uh, Crusaders Academy, all he did with the Crusaders, and then made a decision at the age that he's at to come back home and fight for, a, a if you like, a green jersey. It'll be interesting to see how much game time he gets and... With all these cases, you have to prepare for a scenario where he could be on after 90 seconds of the match, If there's obviously if there's an injury. So they trust him, which is important. 
They wouldn't have brought him into the training environment if they didn't see some qualities in what he provides, be it the set scrum or also his handling ability uh, and his ability to kind of distribute, which was a high point or certainly a very visible part of his uh, time with the Crusaders. Obviously, going back many, many years ago, he played a little bit of number eight. So he's well able to carry ball. That's the other thing. And he's a high work rate. So him getting an opportunity in this match will will be important. I don't think Wales have the most destructive scrum. So I think that would be... It's actually been all right. I think I read a stat earlier. I think about a quarter of their scrums so far in the Six Nations have, have resulted in penalties for Wales. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Scotland are not renowned for their scrummaging, but they did play an England side who everyone's talking about the fact that England are going to cause Ireland scrum problems in, in two weeks' time at Twickenham. So it's, they're not, it's not a weapon, I would say, for Wales, but it's not. It's not weak. Well, good. Don't forget the injuries that Wales have suffered as well since. So it's not like this is the starting scrum that they had against Scotland. It's not. They've got injuries in the interim. So I think that's a that may be a factor. But it's always good to expand the the depth, if you like, in, in a, a squad. And I think that's something that maybe Andy Farrell is looking to as well is to is to kind of reward either training form or have a look at somebody to extend that that kind of depth within the the playing roster. Well, the other thing to consider is Far- Farrell is really big on these occasions. He's He really makes a big deal of the debuts, the 50 caps, the 100 caps. I mean, we all remember the big deal he made out of Keith Earls getting 100 caps during the summer. Like the families are in the changing rooms afterwards. There's a big presentation, etc. And, and th- that, that's a positive for the squad, right? That's going to, provided it's happening after a victory on, on Saturday, that's that's a big positive and it boosts squad morale. So, you know, it's 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 clever. Yeah, I don't think you get a freebie. Like it's, it's, no, it's not a freebie, but it's you, you kind of he's brought into the squad because he'll add value, and that's what Farrell has done with players. He has looked at players and said this player is going to add value, and more often than not, and when you look at the run of success that he's had, he's been right in those cases, and you earn his trust. And Ollie Yeager obviously has earned his trust. Kieran Frawley has earned his trust to play full back. It's not as if he's kind of. Uh, He's just had a random number generator and decided to pull these two guys out of nowhere. You know, he looks at them and they, and feels that they can add value and that they will fit in the team. Obviously, time will tell Saturday afternoon, but he's happy and you'd be supportive of of the decisions that he's made based on how Ireland have gone. Doris, let, let's turn back to you and, and your, your area of expertise. Uh, the other significant, I suppose, uh, bench option is they've opted for Stuart McCluskey in the 23 shirts. Farrell loves these big centres coming off the bench. We, we don't know if Gary Ringrose is fully recovered. I, I think he trained during the week as far as I'm aware. So that sounds like it could be a selection call rather than an injury call that it's McCluskey rather than Ringrose on the bench. Um, leaves Ireland a little bit light. There's no one covering the wing if anything goes wrong. What do you think the thinking is there with that selection? You've pointed out Steve McCluskey comes in. I think there's a piece here that... Guy Ringrose has been injured, so he doesn't automatically deserve to start ahead of Stu McCluskey. And I think Stu McCluskey had his best game uh, in an Irish jersey uh, for, not going to say ever, but I think he had a really, really strong game the last week. So he gets to carry over form. If there is an injury in the wings, there is going to be a considerable amount of moving around. You might even see Conor Murray going on the wing before uh, Stu McCluskey. But they will have to reshape the back line. They're just a little bit thin. For me, it just looks a little bit like it is on the face of it. They're a little bit thin on the ground. Gary Ringrose hasn't played a lot of rugby and other players form not maybe good enough. McCluskey, real standout performer um, in his last outing, gets the nod and um, they may just have to rejig things with Henshaw or somebody covering the wings, but he gets in there on, on, on form. 
I think Connor Murray will be hoping that Jemison Gibson Park goes to the wing first uh, before <laughs> he does. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it. I think it is a week. Like if you look at the Welsh back three, you're looking at Cameron Winnis, who's a very good ball carrier, lovely runner, very balanced, good footwork, and quick. And then you've got Josh Adams, who's a Lions wing on one wing, and you've got Rio Dyer, who's like Grease Lightning on the other wing. So. Wales have enough pace and footballing ability to cause Ireland problems. You've got George North, obviously, and Tompkins in the centre. I don't think that Ireland would... I don't think they match up particularly well if they were to suffer uh, an injury on the wing. I think it would be quite difficult for them to... Because if you have to take Jemison Gibson Park away from his central playmaking role as scrum half, where he adds so much value and is, is like a metronome for the way that Ireland attack, he brings pace, tempo, vision to the game. I think it's... It would be counterproductive for him to, you know, have to go out to a wing. That's not a reflection on Conor Murray being able to play scrum half. It's more a reflection of taking away one of your huge strengths in terms of the attacking game. And, and I think it is a concern when a match starts and you get the injury with a 6-2 split on the bench that you don't want. How many times has that happened in international rugby and you're there saying to yourself, well, with hindsight, we wouldn't have done this. But Andy Farrell has rolled the dice and... For, from an Irish perspective and supporters' perspective and team and management, they'll be keeping their fingers crossed that wing is not one of the injuries that they suffer, or any injuries for that matter. What, what's your famous line? Everyone loves versatility until you actually have to rely on us. Yeah, but I think I think that's I think that's probably a, kind of a doomsday-ish scenario. You've also picked six forwards on it. Ireland should, and with the big caveat not giving them the kiss of death, should be capable of winning the game, even if they lose two wings. Uh, in, in that, such as their form coming into it. And that's not arrogant or dismissing, um, Wales. You're just looking at the form that the teams are carrying into it. When they make six changes in that pack, uh, nine and 10, being able to control the game, even if they are taking, you know, an unfortunate series of events and you lose players in the back three, I think the Irish game plan at this stage, they should be able to weather that. Right, but we're going to continue to chat about Ireland's opponents, Wales, just after this short break. Welcome back to the Counter Rock, a rugby podcast brought to you by the Irish Times in association with Nifty Business. My name is Nathan John, still here with John O'Sullivan and Gordon Darcy. We're just going to wrap things up a little bit by talking about Saturday's opponents, Wales. And they've made one change to their team, John, from the one that went reasonably close with England uh, in Twickenham a couple of weeks ago. We had Mike Bubbins on, on Monday's podcast talking about how Wales are probably exceeding expectations a little bit, not in terms of results, but in terms of performance. I think they've lost the two games by a combined three points so far. Um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster run for them. 27 nil down against Scotland, losing 27-26. Um, but like I said, they've made one change from the team that lost by two points to England. They brought in a new 10, Sam Costello. The one area we have spoken about in both Welsh games that's been very poor is their game management and their kicking. They they don't know how to control territory, which is a massive weakness going up against this Irish side, given how good they've been in, in, in that area. Are you expecting more of the same? Ireland to dominate that area? Are you expecting Costello to make a big difference? I think if you look at him physically, Ireland will be hoping to get access to that channel. I think Wales will have to be clever defensively to try and protect him as much as they can or hide him somewhere in the defensive line. He's talented if he gets, like most out-halves, you know, if he gets quick ball. I think Wales may struggle to generate that sort of ball. If they do, they'll cause Ireland problems because 
if you look at their three-quarter line, they've got some good players in it. And they've got players that showed against a full Scotland side that they can cause them problems when they get out into the wider channels. I think they'll find it difficult to get there. That's certainly what Ireland will try and ensure that that isn't the case, that they don't get an opportunity, that they're pretty careful and, and protective of their ball, that they don't give Wales turnovers. Uh, and that they manage the game in the same way that they've managed it pretty well against France and Italy. So I think for Ireland, the focus is on their own performance. For Wales, if they do get quick ball, yeah, they have the players. And for Costello, again, it's got to, if he's limited in that, in a, on a diet of quick ball, he's got to make the most of it. He's got to make good decisions. You can't go for the 30 70 cross kick. You've got to, everything you do has to be well thought out or, or kind of playing the percentages. So I think that in those circumstances, there's huge pressure on him to make good decisions off what is likely to be probably a slow ball. Slow ball. Yeah, well, on that point, it's just worth mentioning. Uh, last year, Wales have had a problem with quick ball. And obviously, the first step of getting quick ball is breaking the gain line. Uh, Wales have an issue with that. Last year, Six Nations, lowest dominant carry rate of any tier one side. That's for the year. That's not just for the Six Nations. So... Ever since their spate of retirements from the the strong Warren Gatland era, you think about those big ball carriers, your, your Jamie Roberts types players. They've they've struggled. They've struggled to get over the gain line. And we we touched on that on Monday's podcast, Darce, didn't we? With, with with Mike, that spate of retirements and and Wales rebuilding. One area that they've actually had some decent crossover in is in that seven position. You played a lot against someone like. Sam Warburton um, and how much of a breakdown threat he was. Tommy Reffel, the, the, the Leicester Tigers, uh, number seven, five breakdown turnovers in two games so far. They've, it's been pretty seamless, actually, the transition. They seem to find these back rows out of, out of nowhere, do Wales. But Darce, what's it like when one team has such a dominant breakdown threat? What's, what's the week prior to playing that team like in terms of preparation and, and singling someone like that out? Yeah, it's actually really good um, from a preparation piece because you have to put a huge amount of mental focus on the player in the position. Um, so like normally what will happen is the defensive uh, coach will give you a couple of a couple of clips at the start of the week. There'll be a folder created on the hard drive uh, on him about his technique, how he comes in, what, what kind of tackle scenario he likes to come in and get the poach. And then there'll be the counter to that will be then we'll say players that have, have dealt with him well, how they've cleaned out those rooks. And you kind of just have to get that mental picture in your head. So you're almost primed to the scenario as it's happening. So you can you can imagine Joe McCarthy carrying the ball in. If you're one of the rook clearers on the far side, you're already, you're primed for, you know, spotting him in the immediate area around that ball carrier. So that if he carries in, he's in there, that you're targeting him early. Um, the danger is that you don't over-target um, and you forget about the other threats that are around the place. So like these guys, it's all just about getting the vid- that the you know the mental pictures in the head. And one of the way, simple ways to counter somebody like that is make them tackle. So when we had Sam, when Sam Warburton, Martin Williams, players like that, sometimes if it's just not working and he's just getting in and being a pest of the breakdown, you just go, right, well, actually, I'm going to make him, if you, if you tackle him, if you make him tackle, he can't pinch the ball. But Overall, it's a great focus for the week. It gives you something else to think about rather than the results and keeps you keeps you nice and uh, nice and sharp in a in a match week like this. It's interesting you said that actually uh, because I have too much spare time on my hands. This week, I actually went back and watched when Leinster played Leicester a couple of weeks ago in the Champions Cup. Obviously, Raphael playing there, and he was only on the pitch for half an hour. He went off with a HIA, but he didn't earn a single a single breakdown turnover. 
and I think a large part of that darts was because of what you said. I think Robbie Henshaw in particular on first phase just put his head up and said, right, where's Tommy? I'm running at him. I'm going to make him make this tackle. And I'm going to make sure that he can't, uh, you, can't, you, can't, you can't be the guy getting in over the ball if you're the one making the tackle. Yeah, I think the best way to, to look after somebody like him is to, to make sure, make him make tackles. But the other thing is to, to be accurate and precise in what you do. I think the clean out is very important. And I think that's something that Ireland will have worked on. As, as Dars was saying there, like they would have had a, they would have looked at what he likes, what he doesn't like, where he positions himself what he goes for but you can't and and the other point is like Aaron Wainwright's very good as well over a ball so there are other players in the Welsh pack that if you just target Tommy Raffel that you're going to end up kind of not being vigilant enough so the simplest way to do it is make sure that the clean out the breakdown is very precise very accurate as much as you can and like it's not it's not a game of chess so it's a game of rugby and things things will happen but as much as you can if you control what you can control which is your accuracy at the breakdown and also be able to maintain the ball, then I think that that Ireland will will get the sort of go forward quick ball that they want. Very quickly, before we go, worth mentioning, the referee that day when Leinster played Leicester, Andrea Piardi, the referee on Saturday, Andrea Piardi. He did ping Rafael in that game for going on over the ball, but for putting his elbows on the floor. And it was two or three penalties he gave like that. So worth considering as well, he... he leans more on the attacking side when those jacklers go in. He is... Hawkeye for any part of your arm being on the floor when you try and scoop that ball off the deck and other referees can be a little bit more lenient on that so maybe that's something that that works in Ireland's favour I, I don't know um, I'll finish off with both of you very quickly Darcy you first I think I know what prediction you're going to give but can you can you give me a rough scoreline in terms of what you're expecting on the weekend What's the definition of success here? I think Ireland should win. And I think that's, you know, if both teams play their best game at this point in their progress, Ireland win. I think the negative for Ireland is that they win and they scrape by with a poor performance and they let uh, a Welsh team uh, into this. So what we want to see from Ireland, I think, is that continuation of that real kind of mentally strong going after teams, regardless of who they are and beating them by what they want to, uh, by what they should be beaten by. So for me, this should be for... For this to be a successful outing for Ireland, I think they have to have quite a comprehensive win. And I think there should be a fair bit of points in the score difference at home against a Welsh team that are at best rebuilding. I would like to see a fairly comprehensive win from Ireland. Put a, put a number on comprehensive for me, John. I am uh, definitely not going to do that. I'm going to edge the bookies <laughs> first uh, before I say anything publicly. No, I think good teams win these matches. I think that Ireland are a very good team. I think that they've got to manage a game. They've managed expectation. They've done all these things for the last two years. This is another game. They're missing a player here and a player there. And they've got to produce, they've got to focus and produce a performance. If they get everything right, they'll win comfortably. If they're not, or they're careless, or their focus is off or concentration is off, then it'll be a little bit tighter. But I would expect them to have a, a couple of scores in hand. Right, we'll leave it there. Myself, John and Gordon will be back live on Twitter Spaces shortly after full time on Saturday afternoon. And then the podcast will be back on Monday where we will wrap what John and Gordon have predicted will be an Irish victory. My thanks to you both. My thanks to you all for listening. Our thanks to our sponsors, Nifty Business. You can find them at niftybusiness.ie. My name is Nathan Johns. And you've been listening to The Counter Rock. Make sure to leave us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>